Make your selection now. It takes two to make a thing go run. It takes two to make a thing go run. When I'm rock right now, I'm on bass and I can't take it down. I'm not internationally known, but I'm known throughout the microphone and uh, other words. Thank you for that introduction. Welcome everyone to Fractured Skulls, Terminator Trials alongside Monoxide. Happy holidays, everyone! Yeah, I don't know how It Takes Two has anything to do with the holidays, but hey, they used it for that stupid uh, game, Action 52. It's just literally the first, like, maybe 10 seconds on Luke. Well, that won't get it <laughs> after, like, a minute. I mean, well, no, it's just the intro, and then after that, you just get the menu, and you get a bunch of real cheap-ass games. It, it, realistically, it was just a, a marketing ploy for their stupid uh, Cheetah Men, which was supposed to be their answer to the Ninja Turtles. Because Do you remember how much they wanted on retail price when it first came out? No. Remember how video games are usually averaged at $40, maybe at that time, maybe even $50? Mm-hmm. $200. Kiss my ass. $200 for this cartridge. $199.95. Plus tax. To buy this game. And this was what? NES in the early to mid-90s, maybe? It's shit like this. This is why the Panasonic 3DO failed. I mean, you're asking people to spend $700 in 1993 for a game system. It cost seven, nearly $600 for the PS3 when it first came out and even that people were like holy shit that's expensive yeah. that was 2005 2006 mm -hmm. well now that's the average for a ps5 and an xbox i <laughs> trust me i know i have the ps5 now thank god i still gotta get one. Oh man it's it's pretty good i only got a couple games for it i'm reserving buying games because christmas is coming so, you already know, you've got people who are going to probably look at video games to buy. Well, with that said, I guess we'll get right into our news topics. Let's, let's, let's check it out! Well, first things first, I'll get the depressing news out of the way. We have a death this week. Actor Andre Brower uh, died at the age of 61. Is being reported lung cancer, I believe. Oh. Or some, some type of cancer. Um, made his film debut in one of my favorite of uh, 80s movies, uh, Glory. Came out, I believe, in 88 or 89, one of those years. It also co starred Denzel Washington and Morgan Freeman. That was one of that was both of their big breaks as well. A lot of people benefited from being in that movie. And it stars uh, Matthew Broadwick and co-starring uh, Carrie Elves, who we just recently saw him in the Saw movies. And he was also in a movie we reviewed on this podcast called The Mist. Yes, 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 yes. He was in that movie, yes. And I just said podcast. I it's, forgot to add the S. I, I got past <laughs> me, that one. Uh, Well, maybe it was just something I noticed. I'll probably notice it if I listen to this back. But yes, he was in... He was their neighbor, right? He played the neighbor that fucking was getting all uptight with them. Yeah, he was supposed to be like the douchebag neighbor, but, you know, when we first see him, he's actually pretty chill. 
He kept his cool until the whole, I guess, the whole, um, the, the miss hit the town. And then he yep. wanted to leave and do his own thing. And then we never saw his character again. Right. Him and, a, him and some guys were going to walk into the mist to get help. And then that was it. Never heard from them again. He did play a pretty good role, so. Yeah. Um, I know he was on that TV show, Brooklyn Nine-Nine, with, uh, mm-hmm. what's his name, Andy Samberg? Yeah. I, I haven't seen much. Oh, he was, yeah, he was, I don't know if you mentioned, yeah, he was in the remake of The Poseidon. Was uh, he? Yeah, the, the Poseidon Adventure that we reviewed on here, that was the original. He was mm-hmm. in the remake. And I saw the remake, what, a year ago? On Hulu, and I don't remember it. Well, then again, I mean, I remember Kurt Russell being in it. Yeah, he was the main guy. Uh, I think Andre played one of the captains. So he may have... I'm wondering if he played a character that dies as soon as the boat gets uh, tipped over. Because I've only seen the remake once. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I didn't care for it as much as the original. I just know that Kurt Russell's character dies... From drowning, virtually, he's trying to rescue everybody. He just basically drowns. But that's all I remember from Poseidon. I'm assuming Andre probably had the same role that Leslie Nielsen had in the original. He's just kind of there, and then he dies once the bolt tips right. over. And if I'm correct, that was was that before Leslie Nielsen really delved into comedy. Oh yeah, yeah, that was at least almost a decade a decade before. Well, no, I say several years before Airplane. Yeah, and then he did Naked Gun and all that stuff. Naked Gun several years later, and then that was... That's when he really blew up. Yeah, I'm starting to realize that I did see him in a couple of things that I wouldn't have really noticed until I looked into his Wikipedia. So... The last film I saw him in was... uh, I think it came out last year. Was that film She Said? Mm Mm-hmm. basically like all the president's men made for a but more of a feminist touch to it it's about the scandal of harvey weinstein Mm. and i remember when this when this film came out it was it was distributed by a universal i think they were gonna they were expecting the audience to give them like a pat on the back this is stunning and brave you made a great movie showing what these women were going through from harvey weinstein and it's going to get all the Academy nominations. And the film was a gigantic flop because no one went to go see the damn thing. Yeah, I'm looking at it right now. Budget was $32 million and the box office was 13.9. That's that was, crazy. That's crazy. That was one of their biggest flops uh, last year. I think I think the only movie that year that did worse was Bros. Oh, wait, wait. Bros, that was the gay couple movie, right? Yeah. Uh, wow! Wait, wokeism doesn't sell. <laughs> I remember. I remember my father saw the trailer. He's like, "Who the hell's gonna want to see that?" <laughs> uh, yeah. Oh, uh, sucks that one of Andre's last films was. She said, "Cause, uh, like I said, The Mist. He that was the movie I obviously know him the best in. He really did well. I thought he played both sides of the coin very well so if you ever wanted him to play a good guy or a real prick he could have done both that's that's to say something because some people are just either naturally good on one side or the other it's never both like william defoe for example how many times have we seen him as a villain because he's just a naturally good bad guy yeah yeah he has he has that look too 
Was it Platoon that he was in where he was actually a good guy? Yeah, he was a good guy, and Tom Berger was the bad, corrupted, racist uh, sergeant. He was ahead of all of them. I think he had his own platoon, and Willem Dafoe had his platoon. His platoon had Charlie Sheen, Johnny Depp, Forrest Whitaker. I mean, this is 86. I mean, you know, these you're sitting on a gold mine of soon-to-be big, big star actors in that movie. Everyone was in that movie. Yeah. That's interesting. That's very interesting to see. But yeah, Andre was very good. At and he could that. do comedy. He could do drama and comedy. As I mentioned, with Brooklyn Nine Nine. I remember on the um, I guess his scenes, he would make like witch jokes at one of these, uh, at, like one of the girl cops, or like I think she's like a sergeant, and mm. and he would always like every time he sees her, he would always make witch jokes at her. Like, wait a minute, if you're here, then who's wow. guarding Hades? Right. It's that was kind of like a funny gag with him and her on that show. It's interesting because um, it was what Wesley Snipes who was in coming to America. I was amazed at how funny that dude was, and said to myself, "You know, he he could do comedy, just like this. Like it, it makes you wonder. Like if somebody's that versatile, always dip your hands into everything because it'll just show. Like like a like Gary Oldman, for example." And how he could just like morph into like all these different characters, such as uh, Drexel Spivey from True Romance, uh, when he played Sid in Sid and Nancy, Sid Vicious, when he played uh, uh, Commissioner Gordon in the Batman movies. You can't go wrong with somebody who's that versatile. And based on what we're seeing here, this was a very versatile actor that we just lost. So, yeah. Oh wow. Yeah, she said it was his final film. Damn. That's almost as bad as Raul Julia going out on Street Fighter. <laughs> Damn. I mean, at least he had Brooklyn Nine-Nine. I, was, I mean, that show has over 150 episodes, so that's a success in my book. Right. But I guess we'll just remember him for that, then. I mean, sucks. He passed away 61. That's still pretty young. That's very young, yeah. That is, like, super, super young. Yeah, rest in peace to Andre. You'll you know you'll be missed. Well, on to our second news story. Um, I meant to bring this up in our last episode. It slipped my mind, so I'm going to bring it up here. This involves WWE. Um, WWE as of 2024 will not be will be uh, closing down their home video business. Um, yeah, they're not the only ones. I, I remember. Uh... Back in 2014 or 2015, somewhere, I, no, 2014, they stopped doing their WWE magazine because it's it's getting to a point now where everything's becoming digital, which is a positive and negative. So the positive is physical media can be very consuming in one's household, having to store away your DVDs or books or video games, etc., the bad side is, and there's probably more bad than good, is that the one thing about physical copies of something that you have, it's good if, let's say you don't want it anymore, you can sell it. Can't sell a, a digital copy to somebody else. It's only yours. And on top of it, is it really yours? Because can a company just take it away? Is it legal for them to take it away like what do you think uh no it's mine i bought it 
It's mine. Unless but, I sell it to you, then we're, that's... We're speaking... You're speaking logically. I'm speaking in terms of can a company legally take it away? Le uh, that's a good question. Um, if it's on the app, let's say if I bought a movie off of Prime. Right. It's it's there until Amazon says, and eh, we're going to take this away from you. Yes, legally they can do that on the app. But in person, like on a DVD, no, that shit's mine. I bought it. Right. But th this is where I'm going with that point. Like, obviously, if it's a DVD, it's yours. They're never going to be able... That's impossible for them. Unless they start knocking on every door and start yeah, collecting gonna, DVDs. Oh, yeah. Unless they start. Yeah, yeah. Do you have this? Yeah. And even if they do that, if anybody's going to even admit to it, that's another story. But we're going into, like, extreme hypotheticals here. But with the avid of digital... I know that there's, like, another positive, which is... Like, for example, the PS5. I'm able to re-download some of the games that I had on PS4, such as uh, Batman Arkham Asylum. I was able to re-download that and replay it on hard mode. Fun game, probably one of my favorite Batman games of all time. Probably is my favorite Batman game of all time. Uh, I just gotta play Arkham Knight. But, um... Yeah, but the other side is, is that if the PlayStation Network decides like with Netflix when they start removing content. Now that's different because you're paying for a monthly service for all of these movies. You're not purchasing these movies individually. But if you were to purchase a game, like let's say, all right, I'll give you an example. Back in 2015, when WWE released 2K15, like around late 2014, they released 2K15. One of their special... Um, pre-order bonuses and all that stuff was the Hulk Hogan DLC where you had uh, the red and yellow brother, 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 and then you had the uh, doo -doo -doo -doo, uh, world, New World Order Hulk Hogan. Well, around the summertime, around July, that's when the, the scandal came out where he said the N-word on a phone call Right before he was about to bang Bubba the Love Sponge, his wife. I, I just, uh, part of me just wants to know, like, what led to, from him talking about, we're all a little bit racist, brother, to him banging Bubba the Love Sponge's wife. I, I don't know. I don't know what got her aroused enough to want to bang him after that, but that's besides the point. Point is, is that when that came out, WWE had that DLC completely scrapped from the store. So it's... If anybody that bought that DLC, was it taken away? And if it was taken away, were they refunded? I would hope they were refunded. Well, that's but the other thing. Can, can a Does the company have to refund you? I don't know. That's a that's another good question. Because I've never been in that situation, been in a situation like that. And I didn't buy that game because I heard it sucked. Well, it sucked because it was the first game of the new gen. And it was so limited. It was clear as day they needed more time to work on it. But anyways, but now here comes the other question. Let's just say everything is true. They could take shit away. How do those, How does the refund process work? Because, like, let's say you bought it brand new. When if, Like, let's say a movie just came out. And you pay, let's say, 20 bucks for the movie digitally. And now it's yours. When they want to take it away, let's say at that time that they take it away, months, years later... It went down to like maybe eight dollars. 
So when they do the refund process, are they going to give you the $20 that you paid at the time or only eight because that's how much it was worth at the time that they took it off? I doubt it. They give you anything back. That's that's a little bit alarming because now that just shows that you don't really own it. You're only borrowing it. You're, you're paying to borrow it. That's basically what it is. And that's that's the disadvantage of digital. It's, it's like I bought it. I was like, yeah, but do you own it? Like, do you really own it, though? Is it in your hands? It's just it's that feeling that people like to own that physical copy in their hands. Then, then it feels like, wow, now I really own it. I think it also. The flip side is, is that, yeah, you do own a physical copy, but like with anything, physical copies deteriorate over time. So you don't own it for life because at some point it's going to either disintegrate or never work and you're going to have to buy another one. But, on uh, of it. Well, that's yeah, that's a whole other thing. But it's it also depends on how long you'll own it on digital before they take it away. It's, either way, I would rather have the knowledge of I own this. Like if it was digital and you own it, that's great because that means you own it for life and you don't have to worry about deterioration. Well, there's another problem that you haven't addressed yet with when uh, it comes to digital. Yes. If they put up a movie, let's just say, for example, uh, The French Connection, but they mm-hmm. edit out all the scenes of Detective Popeye Doyle being a racist. Oh. It doesn't work well with modern audiences. Yeah, That's that is a huge problem. That is another issue, yeah. That is a well, it's already done. We've already talked about it on this podcast where they took out a line from Rugrats. Yeah, the episode where Tommy becomes a girl. And they took out a line that Stu said that no son of mine is going to cross-dress in some beauty pageant. Like, yeah. Not only that, it's not even like that line is that bad. It's so innocuous. Yeah. <laughs> That's the other thing. Like, when these people... This is why... You know where I think this all fucking starts? Yeah, you're going to call me Alex Jones for this. This is all George Lucas's fault. For going back and editing the Star Wars films and never allowing us to watch the originals. And we allowed him to do this. Yeah. So, George Lucas, you're the fucking problem. Fuck you. Yeah, we, we didn't know that this was this was going to be a... Uh, this was going to start in effect. Yeah. It was, and, it, was, it was impossible to tell, to know that at that time when he did it. Well, here's the thing. It's not so much he made the changes that were the problem. It was that these changes were here to stay and you're never going to get the original viewing of those movies. Mm -hmm. That's where it became a problem. Because some people who watched the movie in theaters at the time remember it more fondly the way it was made at that time as opposed to now. Again, I, I revert back to a movie that I remember fondly. It's one of my favorite fantasy movies of all time the never-ending story yep to this day i can watch that movie and despite its limitations and what they could do in 1984 it is a beautiful movie it's granted i'm probably watching it with the uh, tinted roses sunglasses because of my childhood point is is that i like it the way it is it is what it is because i like it the way it is now imagine if I forget the German director's name who made the movie. Wolfgang Peterson, I want to say. Thank you. Well, because the book, I think, was originally in German. 
Now imagine if he decided, oh, I got to edit everything and fix it up to make it more CGI and all that stuff. Cool. I would definitely give that a watch just to see what he did to make it fancier and to make it more crisper. Just for the curiosity's sake, a new look for it. But if he was to tell me, well, you're never going to be able to see that original piece again, then I would be a little bit like, uh, in that case, don't even give me a new one. Just let me keep the the original. I say, yeah, don't even bother. Uh, well, I mean, how would you feel if Spielberg went back and did edits to E.T.? Instead oh. of using practical, uh, uh, whatever they used for E.T., they make it CGI. Well, same thing with Jurassic Park, the original. I mean, we see it with Jurassic World. That's the, there we go. That's the perfect thing. Jurassic World is the example of how it should go. You don't have to mess with the original. You can make a new film with the same kind of idea with the CGI that you want. Perfectly, because I think we reviewed it on this podcast and we both enjoyed Jurassic World. At least I did. I don't remember your opinion, but I remember really enjoying that film. Yeah, it's a nice, it's a nice film. Um, I, I mean, I liked it for what it was. I mean, we reviewed it. You guys can check it out. Uh, we go more in depth, of course, on Jurassic World. But I felt, you know, as a reboot, I, of course, they went. They got to make more. I, it was fine as a one-off movie. I wish they would have stopped there. Yeah, I didn't hate the second one as much as you, but I, I understand your point. But getting back to what we were saying, all this edits and all that stuff. No good. Yeah, no good. WWE. I mean, you know, with the every time you watch the old footage, especially when it comes to music rights, music things, especially when you watch ECW, even WCW and WF in the WWF shows, they edit a lot of the music. Yeah. Undertaker coming out to Kid Rock was fucking awesome. Sandman and from Metallica, all that shit was great, is what made that moment special. Yeah. They would watch it, they just added some dumb music like, what the hell is that? And in those cases, they don't really have much of a choice because it has something to do with music rights fees. But it, it could, this just part harkens back to like, why aren't you thinking about this before you have the wrestler come out to that music? I mean, in ECW's case, that's a whole different can of worms. That's but why the, at that moment when it first came out, that's when you want to get the copy because... You know, because everything is all on there. But you brought up uh, Sandman with Metallica. Sandman came out on ECW One Night Stand, which was produced by WWE, even though Vince McMahon had no uh, control on it as far as creatively. But he comes out to enter Sandman on that show. You didn't think, stop to think, hmm, if we're going to have him come out to the song, maybe we should get at least the rights for him to have this song on this show. So that way, when we re-air the show, we have that same nostalgic reaction that we had for him back in the 90s when he came out to it. You would think. Or when Undertaker came out at WrestleMania 27 to Ain't no grave, hold my body down from Johnny Cash. And then they just replaced him. Now, to be fair, they just replaced it with his regular theme. That's not the worst edit in the world. But as somebody who had to endure that theme... At Fan Access, when I went to his uh, section at Fan Access, hearing that theme over and over and over again, and then having to go to WrestleMania that same day and hearing that song over and over and over because it takes The Undertaker 10 years to get from the entrance to the ring. 
I want people to feel the same torture I went through that day. Yeah, and so, on the same shelves. I mean, they cut out or they edit out uh, for whom the bell tolls because Triple H yeah. the opening intro. However, the memory remains the following year. They're still using it to this yeah. day. I, I guess they paid for that. I, I don't know how that worked. <laughs> Or if you watch WrestleMania 11, Salt and Pepper's performance, musical performance isn't on there. And it was essential because they do their performance. They have a little back and forth with Bam Bam Bigelow. And after the show, after Lawrence Taylor beats him, he celebrates with Salt and Pepper. But of course, can't have that. Can't even have a live version of the damn performance. How no. did we get from digital media <laughs> to this shit? Yeah, but I mean, you know, this is obviously no surprise. It shouldn't be because we, I think a, while, a month ago or a few weeks ago, Best Buy and Walmart were dropping physical media. They're no longer going to sell DVDs. I'm not sure that's going to affect CDs as well, but I know they mentioned DVDs. Uh, I guess that $5 bin at Walmart for Blu-rays is going to get bigger and bigger. They're going to cr- increase uh, dramatic, uh, drastically. I'm not sure what this is going to do for the last blockbuster in, uh, what, in Oregon? Yeah, somewhere in Oregon. I mean, any day now, they're going to pull the plug on that. I don't know, because it's located in such an area that they need it. And not only that, it's become such a novelty that people are just going to go just for the sake of its last blockbuster. It would be like like the novelty of Roy Rogers. You yes, I, I know I have one around here in PA. We have a couple in Jersey, but they're usually at like pit stops. But there's yeah. one right right across from Madison Square Garden. I know because I ate there once. I was dropping the wife off back to her place. But prior to that, I was like, I want to go to Roy Rogers. I've been eating there in like 20 years up to that point. 20 something years and I ate the food, and I don't remember how it tasted. Couldn't have been that bad. Couldn't have been that great. But I was just like, huh, Roy Rogers. This is how it tastes. Cool. But yeah, somebody bring the novelty back of Roy Rogers. But yeah, that's where we're heading in society, man. Physical media is dying. It's unfortunate. Yeah, I still think it should be optional. You should always have that option instead of being forced. Yeah, I agree. I uh, I think Jim Cornette brought this up. He says, like, I, he doesn't agree that they should stop doing it. He says, why don't they just sell it on, you know, online only? You can watch it. You can watch a premium live event, or you can have it on DVD or Blu-ray, whatever. The fuck, these like they should still have that option if they want to own it themselves. I guess they don't. It depends on how much it's selling. Mm-hmm. It is physical media for WWE doing well, and on top of that. In WWE's case, is there really a need for physical media when they've got Peacock? That's the thing. That's a, that's the thing with all these movie apps. Is there still a need for that when you could just go on any streaming app and find the movie? But that, that's another issue. What if the movie's not on there? Well, <laughs> the movie's going to be on unless it's like such an obscure movie. More than likely, your movie's going to be somewhere. It's just, do you really want to subscribe to all these apps? Mm-hmm. That's really the issue, but yes, I'm I'm in agreement that physical media shouldn't go away. But it looks like we have no control over that, and this is like what's going to happen in five years, ten years even. Like 
what is it going to be when the PlayStation 6 comes out, the new Xbox comes out, the new Nintendo console comes out? Are those going to be digital-only systems? I mean, literally, for the Xbox and PlayStation, they have two versions. One is a discless, not dickless, but discless. What? <laughs> I said discless, not dickless. A discless system where you can only download games digitally. And and the other problem is, here's the other problem. I just realized this. So Gotham Knights, I'll just use that as an example. I can get it on Amazon right now, a physical copy for like $25. Do you know how much it is digitally? How much? 70 $70. $70. So it's like, why would I want to purchase it digitally when I can have the physical copy for cheaper? And on top of it, getting it digitally is not going to save any time when it comes to downloading it and installing it. So like, at this point, I'd rather have the physical copy. And again, I at least know, as we said earlier, that it's mine. Well, I got one more news story, and it's our friends over at Disney. Why? How many times are we going to have to go over Disney? <laughs> Hold on. Before you even bring it up, does it have to do anything to do with our weird, weird Miss Ziegler? Of course. We wouldn't have a show without her. Oh, my God. Ziegler, you're lucky that you're abhorrent personality boosts the show up in entertainment value. Well, Variety did another one of those sit-downs where, I guess, actors with actors, they have two actors, and they just oh. sit down, and they just talk to each other about their careers and shit. I mean, uh, this is where we got that infamous, you know, Jennifer Lawrence is the first female action star. Oh, yeah. 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 Because... I guess I was in a parallel universe when I saw Sigourney Weaver in Alien, or or uh, that woman uh, Sarah Connor in Terminator. I, never I, happened. That never happened. So never happened. Yeah. But hey, at least Sinbad starred in Shazam. Am I yeah. right? Wait, what? Am I right? <laughs> she starred or Sinbad? Sinbad. No, that was Shaquille O'Neal. No, that was Kazam. We're and Sinbad started Shazam? Yes, apparently. Oh, you mean she started Shazam? Alright, and we're, we're getting confused here. There's a fucking parallel universe, apparently, where apparently Sinbad started Shazam. It was oh. a joke. <laughs> you said sh- Sinbad. Oh, I. you said she had. I thought you said Sinbad. Oh, my God. <laughs> Jesus H. Christ. Look, I had a long day, all right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay. Yes, she was in uh, Shazam 2. I totally forgot because um, I don't know if anyone's seen it. That movie flopped. I don't know if anyone saw that movie. Anyways, this Varsity or uh, whatever interview. <laughs> Varsity. Yeah, Variety. She, they did a sit-down with Rachel Ziegler and the Little Mermaid star Holly Bailey. Yeah, basically throughout the whole thing, they're just blowing up smoke up each other's asses. Nothing. But, obviously, she was here because uh, she had to play damage control because next March was supposed to be the release of Disney's modern Snow White movie. Snow White and the Seven Genders, the Seven 
diverse <laughs> mythical creatures, whatever the hell they're supposed to be. I guess they're no longer in the movie. I don't know what the situation is with that. Uh, all right, yeah, and I, I remember seeing clips of this interview because you sent me a video of uh, a guy critiquing it. And I think he made a very valid point that the big difference between Ziegler and and not Hollyberry, but one of the berries, not Bailey. not not, Dingle, not Dingleberry, but um, Bailey, Holly Bailey, Holly Bailey. Okay, so Holly Bailey, I'm having a long day too. <laughs> She never really combated the people when it came to the trailer, when it came out, that I can recall. I don't remember her going and lashing out on people. She just basically, to her credit, and because she's a Gen Zer and her age being young, she really took that under, uh, she took it to the chin. She did not allow all of this negativity to really, like, fluster her. The Snow White thing. It's like, when I looked at it, yeah. I mean, we can go on all day about the race swapping bullshit. But, like when they made a black man Commissioner Gordon for the Batman. That was fine, because the guy who played the role was good. And on top of it, the guy who played the role, as far as I know, you can correct me if I'm wrong, didn't go around burying the Batman character or burying Commissioner Gordon or burying any of the original written material made by Bob Kane all those decades ago. Whereas, yeah. This Rachel Ziegler, who's Hispanic, Okay, whatever. You're getting a Hispanic woman to play a, a Caucasian woman. Whatever. I think you're race swapping for the sake of it. But if she would have went out there and said, listen, I understand I'm Latino, this, that, and the other, but I love this movie, and I take it as an honor and privilege to play this role. Most people would probably be like, okay, she's not at fault. And hope to God that this movie isn't some woke nonsense. And if it wasn't woke nonsense, if she just happened to be Hispanic, I think the film would have been much better off. But instead, Miss Ziegler decided to go around burying the original masterpiece of Snow White. The movie that pretty much made Walt Disney into the iconic, mythical being that he is. And the company as a whole, being as dominant as it is. She's burying this material. And not only that, she's throwing her freaking co-workers under the bus saying that their parts will get cut out. Hey, it's Hollywood, baby. And <laughs> not only that, like, she's being so entitled because she's got to wear a dress and she feels like she should be paid every time that it gets streamed because what's wrong with the dress? It's one of the most iconic dresses in all of cinema. You're... Uh, that would be like, that would be like, I know, I'm I'm not a, a big time actor, nor do I pretend to be one. And if I was given the opportunity, imagine if they were remaking The Godfather and somebody came to my doorstep and said, you know what, you've got a great Vito Corleone impression. We want you to play Vito Corleone. 
Imagine I start burying that role and burying Marlon Brando for his role in there in the 1972 classic. How do you think people are going to perceive that? Especially since in Italian culture, it's considered a fucking crime if you're a full-blooded Italian and you never watched The Godfather. Yeah, basically. <laughs> Imagine how they would take it if I wasn't appreciative. And not only that, I'm not Italian. I'm Polish. So they'll probably be looking at it as, well, this Polish guy's going to play an Italian? No, I would be like, yo, I'm, I'm appreciative that they thought that I was good enough to try and reprise a role that Marlon Brando made iconic. Not this little Ziegler. No, and, and listening to that interview, at least listening to what she says, she's done a complete 180. She's praising the movie, and you could tell that she was given notes. Yeah. Uh, that the studio sat down with her and said, look, we need to course correct. We fucked up. You fucked up. Whoever fucked up. This is bad. This is really bad. We got it. We need to save this. Here's the thing, though. I saw it. I saw what you're talking about. Yeah. Now she's saying it's a great film. First off, you I, said I love all Disney movies. What she said. Yeah. You said that you only saw this movie once. Exactly. And, and on top of it, if you want to do damage control, you can't just have her immediately do a fucking 180 and then say, I love all Disney films. What you need to do is have her go out there and understand why she came off like a crass human being and just say, hey, I'm, I know I know I'm going to sound totally hypocritical because I sat here and said the cancel culture is fucking terrible because all they're not apologetic. But cancel culture is not the people that are pissed off with her it's the people who are anti-cancel culture that are pissed off with her so if you apologize for just desecrating this movie and say i'm going to try my best for this movie the people who are anti-cancel culture who are against you they'll be more than likely the ones to forgive you and see how you go going forward based on your actions now, if this was cancel culture, then yeah, you have no, you're 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 dead on arrival at this point. They're not going to give a shit if you apologize. So, to just completely pull a 180, and at this point, either apologize to the anti-cancel culture people that are just like fed up with your nonsense, or just stay the course and just keep being an arrogant shit. At least you're consistent. I know. I'm, uh, why is it so hard for these bitches to apologize? Look. I said things I shouldn't have said. I mean, and it's not like these clips were, of her bearing the movie were old. I mean, these were recent. These were within the last year. six months ago. Damn. Even less than a year. Less than a year. Yeah, yeah less than a year. So it's eight, eight, several months ago at least. Yeah, and again, as I said, it's not cancel culture that's against you. Cancel, yeah, if this was cancel culture, yeah, then I would say... Don't apologize, because you know cancel culture doesn't look at apologies as anything. They just want you down. Me, I don't want you to go down. I want you to be better. I don't want you to lose your career. To be quite honest, if I look at it from a very objective standpoint, she's a young, dumb... I, I was going to say child. She's not a child. She is an adult. She's a full-grown adult. A young one, but she's an adult. She's just dim-witted. She needs life experience. That's yeah, she was, she's been brainwashed. Yeah, and that's the other thing. She has been brainwashed. So it's like, just... If you apologize, I'll accept it. 
as long as it's genuine, of course. Yeah, if, she's, if it's a genuine apology, will you still win everyone back? No. But that's still a step in the right direction, and it puts you in a better spot than where you previously were before that. Correct. As opposed to just pretending like the last six months didn't happen. Yeah, again, that's that's what that's what Disney's doing. That's what she's doing. That's what they're doing. That's why Holly Bailey is there to almost like be your shield. Yeah, almost I mean, makes it look like they're both equals. No, they're not equal at all. It's not even <laughs> close at all. Because yes, you're both race swapped, but that's that's it. Yeah, because Holly Bailey is it. She got hated before she even spoke, and then the hate dwindled down. Zebra, yeah, nobody yeah, really... were, mad, were more so mad at the stu- at Disney than they were at her. Ziegler was not. Uh, nobody was angry at Ziegler until she opened her mouth. Yeah. So it's a difference. Ha- Bailey didn't open her mouth. People were pissed off, and as soon as they saw she was quiet, it went down. People were moderately quiet, other than the race swapping thing with Ziegler. Then she opened her mouth, and then people started talking. It's like a complete reverse. Yeah, all the heat went off at Disney. Well, it was still on Disney, but then then they started going after the actress because she said all that dumb shit. You insulted a property that's personal with a lot of people. You don't do that. And on top of it, it wasn't just one interview. It was like multiple. Yeah, it was was that little red carpet premiere, wherever that word that was at. And then she said it again in a sit-down interview. I've only seen the movie once. It scared me. Blah, blah, blah. And then not only that, you sat there and said that she's not going to be saved by the prince. Why is being rescued by a prince such a bad thing? Like, wouldn't every woman who's in some sort of catastrophic danger want a strong... Oh, whoa, whoa, hold up. Now I'm about to be canceled. A strong, powerful, masculine man to come to their rescue? Are you crazy? You trying to get canceled? Oh, no, yeah, no. Women need to be strong. They need to be empowered in the way they don't need no man. All right, then go on OnlyFans. Fuck. Imagine Snow White on OnlyFans. Oh my god. That would that would be a sight to see. Uh, or if Cinderella didn't go after the prince, but uh, went on Craigslist to figure out where her fucking missing slipper was. I feel like this is the plot for the new Wish movie. Jesus Christ. They tried to do some girl boss and that movie completely flopped. Yeah, again, a, a woman, a feminine woman, usually would take good grace at knowing that if they were in danger, their man would go through, what, what is that, like step on broken glass and, and broken bones and all that stuff to rescue them. I just don't understand I just don't understand why she thought that was a great thing to say that the prince isn't going to be there now not only that but it's here, here's the one thing that you fail to realize Miss Siegler is that again we got the women who want to envision themselves as the princess being rescued but sometimes even though most men would not go out to watch Snow White but sometimes the men want to envision themselves as the man rescuing the woman you want to you want to feel like you, you are that person that you can envision being that person 
It's like when a kid wants to be a Power Ranger. Every time they watch the Power Rangers, they envision themselves as one. It's the same thing with these movies. If if the boys are going to watch a movie like a Snow White or a Cinderella or anything like that, they want to envision themselves as the strong masculine character. And you're taking that away from them. Yeah, I don't. Last, last time I checked, girls still like men. So that I, I think that's going to be a concept that's never going to get old, whether it's 1937 or it's 2023. Yeah, well... It was made oh, no, in that's every time. It was made in 1937, and it was evidently so. And, uh, one last thing I wanted to mention before we get to her film and her interview. She also said, "Um, I feel like all the insults are out of the way now. All the trolls are gone. They said everything that they wanted to say. Everything that they wanted to get off their chest, they've said. I'm like, bitch, the movie hasn't even come out yet. Dude. There's this only is been, nothing. <laughs> hold on. There's only been still shots of the film. One of which was uh, Snow White and, as Shrek would say, all you fairy tale things. What the fuck are they? We've seen uh, a back behind the scenes photo shoot of her in the dress. Then we saw another snapshot of her with the, the actual dwarves, but they were like Sort of CGI edited in. Yeah, dwarves, yeah. It seemed like they uh, rushed that fo- to get that photo to make it like, see, look, we're sticking to the source material. Please don't cancel us. Yeah, but it looked similar to when George Lucas decided to edit Jabba the Hutt when Jabba the Hutt was originally supposed to be a human and then he made him into that creature. That's just what that looked like. It looked weird, but suffice to say. This... Yeah, we've only seen still shots. And not only that, you think the trolls are gone. No, you just gave them more ammunition because now you're just being phony. Yeah, now now you're really asking for it. You're just being phony at this point. Nobody buys it. Nope, no one's buying it. They're taking one look at you and being like, wait, weren't you just two months ago burying this movie? Like, you're not only burying it, but you're not even acting like you're appreciative enough that you are going to be one of the most iconic Disney characters of all time. But Snow White, behind Mickey Mouse and all that, is one of the most iconic characters of Disney. Top five, easily. Maybe even top three. And you're going to star as that. That's a lot of pressure. You would have benefited better if you would have acted humble and said, yo, There's a lot of pressure to do this film. I think if you would have acted like I'm very nervous, people would have been on your side a lot more and rooted for you to do this role right. Just saying. To to bury it and say that it was made in 1937 and it's buried and and the the prince, like, is stalking her. Weird, weird. I don't know. That's... Jesus Christ. At least you became a meme with that. I guess you can rest easy knowing that that's going to live in infamy. Yeah. <laughs> Man, I hope Daily Wire releases their Snow White film at the same time. Because obviously they announced theirs before Disney pushed theirs back. So I'm pretty sure yeah. Daily Wire is going to push their Snow White movie back as well. I mean, it gives them more time to flesh out their thing, uh, their story as well. But they, they need to release it the same week. The same week that Disney releases their Snow White. Even though financially they're going to lose because, I mean, it's Disney. But still, 
It's just that idea. Well, definitely lose because it's on Daily Wire Plus. If they sell it as like a standalone movie that you could buy, what we'll the see. But... So, uh, yeah, um, I have a solution for this. Three words. David Zasloff has been uh, doing it a lot with his films, and I think Disney should do the same. Tax write-off. Possibly, yeah. <laughs> Save what some money, this? lock in the vault. I don't give a shit to ever see that movie. I have a morbid curiosity, more so. <laughs> that's that's all that lies. I wouldn't pay money to see it. You you just want to take a peek. Yeah, I want to be like that little fly on the wall that wants to observe the fight that's going on. Well, Snow White and whatever I don't know, Snow White. I'm pretty sure they're having like another title to it. They won't just call it Snow White. Mm-hmm. Snow White, the Zeke, I don't know. Coming soon to a theater near you, unless they push it back again. Or tax write-off. All right, let's get to our film discussion. Today's Christmas horror film we watched, Better Watch Out, came out in 2016. It's rated R. Directed by Chris Peckover. Uh, he's also a co-writer of the film along with Zach Kahn. It stars Olivia de Jung, Levi Miller, X Oxenbold. He sounds like Australian names. And uh, co-stars Patrick Warburton and Virginia Madsen as the parents for Levi Miller's character who plays Luke. And he is not your father. And in the plot here, on a quiet suburban street, a babysitter must offend a 12-year-old boy from intruders, only to discover it's far from a normal home invasion. Oh, wow. Yeah. Well, well, the names make sense. Would you like to take a guess where this was filmed? Canada. Eh. Uh, Australia? Correct. So, but wait, if this was filmed in Australia, where the fuck were the kangaroos? <laughs> well, they, they were trying to pass it off as some small town, I guess, in Pennsylvania. Because I think one of the characters didn't mention that they were moving to Pittsburgh. Yeah, it was the main character, actually. Um, yeah. In reality, this was filmed in Australia, and of course, it does not snow in Australia. So everything you saw there was a set. Everyone's done it. Interesting. I'm uh, I'm a little bit perplexed because it had a universal stamp right beforehand, and the budget was three million dollars, and it only grossed about two hundred grand. I believe it was uh, at a limited release, or it was like straight to on demand. I don't think this got a wide theatrical release. Gotcha. Well, I guess we gotta get started on how this film goes, but uh. Basically, it starts off with a kid by the name of Luke and Garrett in their room. Luke Garrett? Luke, <laughs> Leaf Garrett. <laughs> uh, Luke and Garrett. So, anyways, they're, they're little 12-year-old boys. They're just talking, and Luke has a crush on his babysitter, who's Ashley, who's five years older than him. and But he really wants to be with her. He really likes her. He has a crush on her and all this stuff. And obviously Garrett's trying to bring him back to reality. Like, dude, this 
she's much older, she's a 10, you're a 5, whatever. And we come to discover that she's going to babysit him for the night. Uh, so the parents are obviously, I don't know if they're oblivious, they seem like the type of parents that really just... The mother seems to coddle her son way too much, and the father's just like, yeah, whatever. Ashley's on the way to babysit Luke, and she's on the phone with Ricky, right? Yes. Because there's two men in her life, Ricky and Jeremy. Jeremy played by, uh, I forget his name, but he played Billy Hargrove in Stranger Things. Discount Zach Efron. I guess you could call him that. <laughs> anyway, uh, so she's on her way and she's on the phone with uh, Ricky and all that stuff. <clears throat> so she gets there. And the thing is, is that he's been sleepwalking. So the rule of thumb is she wants the mother speaking to ashley wants her to put a pencil in between the door handle when he sleeps which his bedtime is at 11 o'clock because he sleepwalks or whatever and so the parents are about to go out for the night and it's just luke and ashley so what do they do they just sit around they try to watch a movie they try to get some pizza but she forgets to order the pizza for some god unearthly reason and at some point luke gets a hold of a uh, champagne bottle and starts drinking from it and for some reason well no at first she's very angry with him like yo put that damn wine bottle away but he just is persistent on drinking it and then he just starts drinking and she just lets him well, yeah, she because she was dumping it in the sink, and she's like, eh, "Let me try this. I don't want to. I don't want to see a good bottle go to waste." And then he catches her. He was like, "Come look. I won't tell. You know, if I, let me drink, and I won't tell my parents." She's like, "All right, fine." Yeah. And then that was that. And I think the reason he whipped out the shot, the the wine bottle or the champagne bottle, was to kind of prove, "Look at me. I'm this bad boy. I'm a badass." Yeah, yeah. I'm a badass. Yeah, <laughs> yeah Rocky Five. <laughs> So she, he's trying to impress her in every way, shape, or form. She goes, shit, I forgot the pizza. And somehow the pizza still arrived. I don't think that was ever explained, like, who ordered the pizza. I'm assuming he ordered it because she got sidetracked from her boyfriend. Yeah, and but the one thing that was interesting was when she asked him, what kind of pizza do you want? As long as it doesn't have mushrooms. But yet they send a pizza with mushrooms. Anyways... So she starts to notice some weird things going on, like the patio door being open. Uh, she's getting strange phone calls. And at some point, Garrett barges through the front door because it's afterwards he had left to go back home. But he comes back in and they start to notice some real strange things going on in the house. And so they eventually go upstairs. All the phones are pretty much fucked. Can't call anybody. The Internet is fucked. So Ashley asks Garrett to go ahead and try and uh, connect to the Wi-Fi to somebody else's. And as her and Luke are downstairs, Garrett comes downstairs with a brick in his hand that basically says, you leave, you die. Garrett just panics, runs out the front door and gets shot dead. 
wink, wink. So, big chase scene from what it seems like goes on with the assailant and going after Luke and Ashley. Ashley's trying to protect Luke and eventually they end up in his room in the closet. And while they're in the closet, the assailant's coming in and he's got a shotgun. Then a toy goes off after he had left and comes back. And some odd reason, I, I forget what triggered her, but she said, Gary, is that you? At this yeah, point, that was like the mask he was wearing. Wait a minute, isn't that what's this? Isn't that? Uh, yeah, Luke's mask. Yeah. So Garrett revealed, oh yeah, because he had a shotgun in his hand. So that was revealed, like, oh my god, this was just a prank gone wrong. Basically, the whole thing was a prank because Luke really wanted to be with her. He wanted to prove that he was macho for her. So up to this point, the plot was right. That this was a, a break-in. And and this was only like 20-30 minutes in. I'm like, hmm, this is interesting. I'm th Now, before we continue, I'm thinking that this was a fake break-in and then a real break-in was going to happen. No, no, no. That's not what happened. So, she basically says, I'm going to call your parents right now. You're about to be punished. And as she's walking, Luke comes from behind and slaps her across the face and she falls to the ground. And basically gets knocked out and Garrett's just like panicking like that wasn't supposed to happen next thing you know she's all tied up and Luke is apparently the villain in this whole story yeah it's like I don't know what the hell their game plan was how so was the plan was that he was gonna defeat this intruder in their house and then he saves the day like wouldn't she want to call the cops or something? I don't know. I mean, of course, at the same time, you got to realize these are kids. They're like, what, 12, 13? So maybe they need to think everything through. Yeah. So obviously they're playing with the shit and he slapped her. She fell down the stairs and knocked her unconscious. Luckily, I mean, she could have broke her neck. But you know. that was technically his plan because Garrett and Luke are not really on the same page. Garrett just thinks that this is a whole thing to, to scare her. But Luke has other ideas. So at some point, while he's basically saying that you're not going to tell anybody about this, this, and the other, Ricky shows up. Ricky shows up with flowers. And Ricky basically forces his way into the house with the flowers after they tried to deflect him away from the house but eventually uh a big scuffle happens there's a part where he stabs ricky in the cheek with a pencil they start to have a back and forth and eventually luke knocks him out with a baseball bat and now they're both tied up and it's getting crazy to the point where garrett's just like He's so torn on this. He doesn't want to hurt anybody. He just thought this was just going to be something to scare her until, like, Luke is just getting real rambunctious. Now, I should point this out. This is where we find out that Luke is a real bad apple. So, they're playing truth or dare earlier. This is one of the, the torture scams. So, one of the things when it was her turn... Uh, when they were playing truth or dare 
she asked the question, uh, didn't you kill Garrett's hamster? And he said it was an accident, this, then, the other, blah, 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 blah. Because originally he thought that, uh, he said to him that the hamster got away and got killed or some shit. But realistically, he killed him. At some point, he basically alluded to Ashley whispering into her ear that him killing the hamster was no accident. He did that on purpose. Crazy, I don't know. But anyways... (laughs) There's a point where the the game gets even more twisted because now he drags. While all this is going on, uh, she's trying to escape because she's taped up. She's trying to break the tape. And there's one point where Ricky actually pisses himself. Cleans up the piss, this, that, and the other. And there was an escape plan, I guess. But then he drags Ricky uh, to like the hallway. And he does a Home Alone thing where he's got the paint cans on the string, drops them. He drops the first one and it misses, and obviously Garrett's panicking, and then Luke drops the second one and it smacks him in the face, killing him. At this point, Garrett's just, like, panicking. Ashley's, like, up completely upset because that's her boyfriend, this and the other. Now, keep this in mind, too. Ricky wasn't supposed to show up. She said to him, no, you can't come. I'm babysitting. But Luke had texted him. At some point... She, he basically demanded her to call him to make it seem like she texted him to come. And there was a point where Garrett was smoking marijuana, so now he's going to make uh, Luke smoke the marijuana, or not Luke, um, Ricky smoke the marijuana. So it looks like it came from him, but the smoke was coming out of his cheek, so obviously this is where the paint can comes in. At some point, he also called Jeremy, I think it was, yeah, it was Jeremy, to come over. That was the dude that spread the rumor that she was banging a bunch of dudes when come to find out that she's a virgin and Ricky never banged her. So he eventually comes. He's obviously dressed like scumbag Steve, the meme. He walks up to the back patio and Luke basically comes from behind and shows him uh, a notepad and says, here, sit down on this uh, the swing set and tells him to write an apology to Ashley. And at first, he's just being a scumbag. Oh, I'm sorry. But then he's like, are you sure that's it? Grabs a note pen again. He writes an, a more in-depth apology. And as he's finished, Luke disappears and sets up a device to basically hang uh, Jeremy, killing him from a hanging. While all that's going on, uh, Look at that. Luke's friend Garrett is starting to feel sympathy for Ashley. And Ashley's just basically saying he doesn't care for you. He's emotionally manipulative, this, that, and the other, blah, 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 blah. So he's trying to cut her loose and he gives her a kiss on the cheek. And eventually Luke comes out of nowhere, shoots him, wounding him. And he's going crazy. He's losing his mind. He's like, motherfucker, what the fuck are you doing? This, that, and the other. Then he kills garrett with another shot boom at this point it's just him and ashley and he sits next to her and she said something like i know why you're like this or some shit i forget the exact verbiage that the two had but it starts to upset him that she's now not following up with an answer he then takes a box cutter and then stabs her in the neck 
presumably killing her. At this point now, he's covering it all up to make it seem like Jeremy is the one that killed everybody and then wrote a suicide note. Yeah, he was and the home invader, yeah. Home invader, and then he went out and killed himself. He starts cleaning up. He's starting to track his parents coming home. And uh, there's one in particular where it looks like he's successful, but then he realized, oh, fuck, he's got to put the pencil in the door, and he can't do it from the inside. So he climbs out the window to go from one window to the other, but he accidentally knocks over some of the uh, the settings, the Christmas settings, and eventually he ends up in his bed. The parents walk in, they start screaming bloody murder because they see bodies. He plays it off like he's just waking up from a sleep. He's getting hugged by his mother and he's smiling because it looks like he pretty much got away with the whole thing. And I thought that's where the movie would end. He got away with it until they say, oh my God, she's breathing. She's alive. And then he's like, what the fuck? He looked outside. Ashley's being carried away on a gurney, still breathing, still alive. And then she looked up the window, saw Luke and flipped him the bird, went into the ambulance. And you know from there, she's going to tell the truth. That's where the movie ends. There is an end credit scene. Did I did see not it? see it. No, I did not see it. It cuts back to Luke. And Luke, you know, looks at his mother. Mom. I'm worried about Ashley. We should go to the hospital and see her. And then it fades uh, again. I see that. Okay, I see. I didn't see it. I thought that was the end. But yeah, that was that was uh. Better, better watch, watch it. Yeah. Do these? I was gonna ask you. Do these kind of movies frustrate you? No. I didn't think this one did. I was thoroughly entertained from it. Yeah. Why do you think this frustrated me? Well, no, because I know some people can't get frustrated with these kind of movies being trapped by a killer and know like there there could have been opportunities they could have gotten away, or why didn't they do this instead of this? And I guess I could infuriate people. Once we get to funny games, I want to get your take on that. Hmm. I I think everything was logical because first off. Luke, the guy who played Luke, or the kid, I should say, he did a very fantastic job playing like an awkward teenager or an awkward preteen. So you would never suspect him to do this. And he definitely played a manipulative person to manipulate Garrett to do his bit. Because somebody who's manipulated, they don't know any better. They're just going to follow in the manipulation plan. Mm -hmm. um, and of course, the what's his name? Jeremy... How is he supposed to suspect that this kid's going to go off and kill him? He's this douchebag teenager as well, and he's seeing this, like, 12, 13-year-old kid. He's not going to expect it, none the wiser. Same with Ricky. Like, Ricky just went in. He wanted to see his uh, his girl. He wasn't suspecting that this kid was a bloody murderer. It's not like a 45-year-old creepy-looking hobo that's in their house. And, yeah, then that would be a little bit odd. But, yeah, I, I would... And not only that... Garrett not calling the police makes the right move because yeah he was just as culpable as um, as Luke so he doesn't want to tell anybody and he's afraid that if he releases Ashley he's going to get told on and he's going to get in trouble so I felt like everything made sense everything was good now I think that you know what this movie reminded me of in some ways like in very small portionate way 
was Hard Candy. And I say that because when you watch Hard Candy, if you go in with zero knowledge, you're thinking it's the prototypical uh, pedophile trap in the girl, but it's actually vice versa. Same thing, you think that it's going to be home invaders and the whole movie is going to be Ashley and Luke running from the home invaders. But you come to find out Luke is the home invader, quote unquote, and he's the villain of this whole story. To me, the kid who played Luke, Levi Miller, did mm-hmm. a way, way, way better job than fucking uh, Elliot, Ellen Page, whatever he, she, it shit refers to themselves as did a way better job and not only that at least because there was two kids it makes more sense that they're able to lift up this girl who's small and tie them up to a chair via tape same with even ricky when they tied him up to the chair you have two kids so they're able to lift them as opposed to i didn't even think of that as opposed to Elliot Page, who's like a five foot tall at the time girl who's supposed to be 14 years old carrying a full grown six foot two man. I I love I really like this movie. I was super enjoyed from beginning to end. I was not bored. Yeah, I wasn't either. It kept me uh, interested from beginning to end. Even at some times, it was kind of, you could kind of say this is a dark comedy. Definitely with the opening scene, I think when the little girl built the snowman and the I guess her brother came in knocked the snowman's head up with a shovel and she's like, you fuck! Yeah. <laughs> I don't know why that part got a laugh out of me. Well, I just wasn't expecting a little girl to call her older brother fuck. could cut that scene out because it's so irrelevant to the plot. It's irrelevant, but it sets the tone. Yeah, it's... And, and there's, like I said, you got Ricky pissing himself. You've got arguments between Luke and, and Garrett, like Luke telling him, yo, man the fuck up, or, or Luke on uh, Percocets or whatever. There was a lot of good stuff in this film that I thoroughly enjoyed. I can't sit here and say that I disliked it or found anything to be completely outrageous to where it... But not only that, like you said, it's a dark comedy. So certain elements, if they were to do it, they could get away with, because it's a dark comedy in a way. So, overall, I didn't find any issue with this movie. In fact, I'm not sure. I, I lose track because we do these movies all the time. We've, we're up to like 170-something episodes. But you can probably re, uh, refresh my memory. But since 151, episode 151, these next 50 episodes, so far this has been one of the best films we've done since episode 151. I guess since uh, I guess since we started what with the Arnold movies, what we do Terminator, Terminator first, all the way oh, till Terminator. Yeah, that's right. I again, these movies blend in so much. When, when I'm almost certain that when we do our top ten uh, best films between episode 151 and 200 or 199, whatever you want to call it, this is definitely going to make the top ten. I'm almost certain, depending on what we review next. Yeah, I, I'm but, not sure yet. I'll get back to you on that one. Well, yeah, we still got like th- almost thirty more episodes t- to cover. So, mm-hmm. but this was really, really enjoyable. It's definitely a good Christmas film for sure. I really enjoyed this. Yeah, the kids are really good here. Both of them, but everybody was good. Every the girl was yeah, everybody was good. Everyone delivered. Because sometimes when it comes to kids in movies, we try not to be critical of them because they're kids. But sometimes they can really make or break a movie. Yeah, and. 
to think because I I always say that Danielle Harris was the best child actress I've ever seen. But yeah, uh, Levi, Levi Miller did an excellent job. He, he deserves a pat on the back. I would love to see when, I mean, he's an adult now. I'd love to see him as an adult play a villain and see how well he can do it there. Because if he did this well as a kid, imagine him as an adult. Like if he was to play a Batman villain, for example. But you, well, you could picture him as like the Riddler or something? A little Riddler, maybe... Um, I mean, obviously the Joker would be too obvious, but like Two-Face... Uh, nah, he's still, he ought to get older. He probably have to age another 10 years to play Two-Face. I always think of someone like in their mid-30s. Like a, I always picture Harvey Dent, someone mid-30s. Oh, oh, here's a character he could play, uh, Jonathan Crane, Scarecrow. There you go, Scarecrow. A little young, young yeah. Well, yeah, he's supposed to be a doctor. And a doctor that just goes corrupt and, and injects you with poison to see your worst fears. But yeah, so point is, is that, yeah, I think he could definitely do some really good shit as a villain, for sure. Uh, one more question. If you were to do a top ten favorite Christmas movies, do you think you would have any Christmas-themed horror movies on that list? This would be one, yeah. Really? This would be one. I mean, uh, I'd have to watch a lot of Christmas films, because obviously, I was asked earlier today, what would be the one film I go to? Because we were talking about Jingle All the Way. And I didn't want to mention Jingle All the Way because we just talked about it, but the one was Home Alone. Um, but yeah, this would definitely be there because it was just such an interesting concept. It's, it was, it swerved me in many ways. It, like, there was a lot of twists and turns. And all the twists and turns, hey, M. Night Shyamalan, take notes, they made sense. <laughs> So no, I'm just a fun fact. Shyamalan did work with two of those kids, um, who was uh, the girl and Jared, the kid with the glasses. I don't know if you've ever seen The Visit. No, I heard about it though. That was that was Shyamalan's comeback after he did the Last Airbender, Airbender, because he didn't make a movie for like several years because that movie did damage to him. And then he did The Visit, which was like what 2015, 2016, just like a couple years right before this movie came out. Or maybe a year or so prior. And he worked with those two kids, and they were good there, too. So this film was almost like they got to work with each other again. I don't know, they're, they're good actors. Yeah. And The Visit's not too bad. That's another movie I wouldn't mind reviewing one day, whenever. What, The Visit? Yeah, if it's available anywhere, we could throw that on the list. You know, whenever in the future. Yeah, it's a found footage film. I always have a soft spot for those. But yeah, um, yeah you're not going to hear many complaints from me when it comes to this film. So I'm, I, just, I'm assuming your thumbs are up. Way up. Both thumbs are, are way up. I really, really, really enjoyed this. And uh, I don't know if I'd want to see a sequel, but I'd be very interested in one. Uh, they, they couldn't do a sequel. The kids could grown up. Well, you don't have to. It doesn't have to be like a follow-up. It could be like something like of a Home Alone 3 where it's not technically a follow-up, but it's the same concept. Oh, oh, like new kids? New kids, yeah. The only problem is, yeah. I know, I know for a fact they'll fuck it up. No, they'll fuck it up. Leave this one alone. Let it. I, I could let it become a cult. Yeah, it, this was. I'm so depressed. This didn't make enough money, man. Because this movie was real good. Yeah, it was made on a budget of three million, which is not a lot at all. I mean, that's yeah. very, that's that's very little. But I mean, again, I mean, what's smart? They kept it in the same setting. It took place in a house, so. 
So at least setting-wise, you don't have to spend much money, you know, going to other places. And, yeah. and this is filmed in Australia, which yeah. does, it does not snow there. So I'm like, wow, they, they really pulled off. They really got that American suburb, suburb, suburban America feel to it. Yeah, and when you actually put it into perspective, other than the extras, there's only seven actors in this. And three of them are the ones that are the majority, which is the Ashley character, Luke and Garrett. You have your Ricky, who's there for a period. Jeremy has a minor role, and then you got the parents. Mm-hmm. That's pretty much it. And uh, again, not including extras like cops and the first two kids in the first scene, and maybe the kids um, that are watching Ashley. That was another thing. Who are those people that were watching Ashley as she was in the middle of the road on the way there that just kept staring at her? You mean the singing choir? I guess. This was when she was driving to the house. I think it was a scene where she stopped for a bit and she almost crashed because she was on the phone. And there was this group of people just staring at her. That's probably why. Look at this freaking kid on her phone almost crashing. I'd be staring at her too. Get off the damn phone. Yeah. Anywho. Minor complaint. But yeah, I love this. This is definitely a movie I want to show the wife. Well, it's available everywhere. I always see it on Tubi. Uh, it's on Shutter right now. It's on Peacock. I mean, of course, it's, univer- it's a universal movie, so of course it'd be on there. Um, yeah, I always see this film on the streaming apps all the time. So, I mean, it's available whenever you want to watch it. Uh, thumbs up for me as well. I liked it. I, you know, these kind of films can be frustrating to watch. Well, I guess, again, it depends how it's done. We, we just mentioned um, uh, the Ellen Page movie. Oh, hardcore, hard candy. I was going to say hardcore country. <laughs> you know, it takes the same idea of, I guess, a child, you know, being taken hostage of sorts. But of course, of course, there's two. There's still two different movies. But I think this one was a uh, better balance. Of course, you mentioned because it had the two boys, and it turns out the one kid, he's the real antagonist in all of this. There is no home intruder. That's the twist, and very well done. I liked it. It has it has that Christmas feel to it. I would also say this is like that movie Mikey we did. Ah, Mikey, yes. Yeah. Uh, would you say would it's say good, Mikey? With a better budget and with one less scene that's so ridiculous with Mikey being able to lift everybody onto their chairs and all that shit. That was like the one scene that was like a little bit too far-fetched. Yeah, I was like, oh, I, yeah. I was like, that was my only really takeaway from Mikey. I was like, oh, man, there's no way this kid could have gotten the, the the gym teacher, all the other teachers, all, it's, you know, set up at the dinner table. No way. No way a child could do that by themselves. Impossible. Yeah. So, yeah. Thumbs up for me. No question about it. Yep. Thumbs up for me as well. Uh, as I mentioned, Tubi, Peacock, Shudder, it's there. Check it out. Nice little Christmas theme horror. Not the gore's not over the top, not too gory, but it's fun. It's a very fun yeah. movie, and not a long movie. It's under ninety minutes. Yeah, thoroughly enjoyed this. Doesn't feel long at all. Well, with that said, uh, that's going to conclude this episode of Fractured Skulls. Again, happy holidays to all of our listeners. Happy Hanukkah, happy Kwanzaa, Merry Christmas. We'll see you guys again soon with another new episode from Anoxidum Terminator Travis. Thanks for listening. Watch out.